welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavel Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Pavel, your host of Curating Crypto. Our guest today is an experiential artist from Argentina. She focuses on giving planet-positive technologies a voice through healing arts. This self-thought graffiti and mixed media creative has been recently featured in Forbes, the American Alliance of Museums, Art Basel in Miami, and has been invited to show art in over 40 countries. Her pieces are seeked and owned by collectors from the traditional fine art world, as well as some of the most prominent people in the blockchain space. Without further ado, let's welcome Nanu Burks. Ketar Nanu, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's really cool to have you as a guest this time. I know that we talk on a regular basis and we've been trying to organize our virtual mate sessions for quite a bit, but uh, looking forward to this, being able to pick your brain for a bit and then letting the audience know what Nanu is all about. Me too, man. It's so nice and refreshing to see a bunch of Latinos and culture interweaving in the space. That's great. So Nanu, let's get started by talking about your background. I know the wanderlust is strong in you, and I understand ever since you left Argentina, you have been mostly nomadic. So walk us through that and, and tell us a little bit about how you started as an artist. Uh, for sure, yeah. The wanderlust is real, and the whole experience of getting lost to find yourself or escaping for your, from your reality has been a really great thing to learn. I think that, you know, I left home the first couple times when I was pretty young in my teens. And so I started kind of like running away and doing that whole thing. And um, by the time I was 18, by the time I was 13, I was traveling a lot. By the, by the time I was 18, I was fully nomadic on the road. And I think the first couple of years, I was definitely running away. I was trying to find myself, but I was definitely running away. And then um, I was able to ground in one place in Austin, Texas for three years. That was the longest I've been anywhere. And it just blew my mind like how difficult it is to be in one place and not escape from your feelings or your emotions and to just be grounded in a way that that you just have to confront everything that's going on and so I love that you opened with the wanderlust term because I think that's really really relevant for our community for blockchain like people are working so fast and just like going from the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and traveling on the circuit you know and following conference and conference and conference. And I did that for three years, <laughs> nonstop, pretty much. And yeah, it's just, I'm in such a different place now. So it's just so interesting to see where my nomadic life began and where my nomadic life is now. Austin, Texas being a beautiful city. I lived there for three years, I would say. Oh, you did? When? Probably uh, many years ago. Yeah, it's such an awesome artist hub. It's a very interesting city. It's a cool vibe. A lot of really good talented people there and a lot of cool stuff that's very specific to Austin. So true. Yeah. And I guess I, I don't know that I really answer my background question with that, but I just like I'm obsessed with the traveling uh, terms and with language in general. So I get caught up in the, in these, um, yeah. And just like the, the speed of life, you know, like going super fast and going super slow. Cause that the reason that I'm in Bali now, it's because I wanted to slow down a lot, but basically, you know, I come from Argentina, which is a really complicated country like most of our South American countries and Central American countries. And I grew up with the crisis of 02 and 08. So my family pretty much lost all of their savings and everything overnight, you know, like the, the banks closed overnight. 
And my mom woke up to tell us, my you know, single mother woke up to tell us that all of her life savings were gone without explanation. And we went from wow. being at a private school to not having money for food or shoes or a house or anything. And so it was crazy. And we moved in with my grandma at the time in a different city. So, you know, I was, you know, I was about 12, 13 and well, I was nine in the first crisis, but yeah, about 12, 13 when we moved um, the first time as a family and I started pretty much running around skateboarding and cussing trouble and graffitiing and stuff like that. And so I think that's where my love for art really began. I've always made art, you know, I've always collaged. I've always been a mixed media kind of like when I was younger, I would always pick up everything that I found on the street, little pieces of like cigarette packets, leaves, whatever I could find to make art with. But when I was 13, it kind of got political for me, you know, and <laughs> I didn't even know back then. But looking back, I realized that I was graffitiing decentralizing messages without knowing that's what I was doing. So then in 2012, when I really found the term decentralization and Bitcoin and all this stuff, I adopted them because they already fit what I was doing. So it was really interesting to find my art identity within the blockchain space. It just gave me really good terms to talk about what I was already doing, you know? Absolutely. And I guess growing up, your familial nucleus, your surrounding environment, and in this case, even your infrastructure via your government, really shapes you up as a person. I guess it sticks with you as you continue to your life journey. And everybody deals with it in a different way, but it definitely can be used as a source of inspiration. It does. It's like survival <laughs> hunger, you know? It is. And I know what's going on with Argentina. What's up with Mauricio Macri? Oh, man. I mean, you know, Argentina is pretty much a dynasty hidden in democracy or whatever terms you want to use to describe this one family that's in power that has continued to marry into each other and continue to monopolize the, the power there. You go to the supermarket, get toothpaste for $3. The next day is $15. <laughs> and there's just, yeah, people are just panicking. So it's, it's really hard. And, and the separation is like in a lot of other places. The rich are very rich, the poor are very poor. And there's these cycles where people can't really escape their economic situation or their status. So it's really hard. My friends are trying to, you know, my friends that speak English and that have other opportunities are trying to move to Portugal because it's an easy visa or to, you know, other places where they can just work remotely or something. But yeah, it, it hurts me, man. Every time I talk to my friends there, it's just through all the through all the stuff that I went and all the hardship, you know, my my parents getting divorced, like my, you know, moving a bunch of times, losing everything. I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I have and the American dream, even though it's it's false in, to some extent, I think that we can make it a reality if we really know how to use our privilege and our opportunities, you know, like like looking white enough in my case, even though I'm Latino and then speaking two languages and being able to have access to education, to clean water and like basic stuff that I don't have to worry about. And so I, I can use my brain and my and my freedom and my inspiration to do things that I like, you know. So I feel like, yeah, the American dream is a weird term, but I do feel grateful to be able to live in the dollar economy, even though I fucking hate fiat, you know, <laughs> and I want it to, to be replaced with Bitcoin. It's, um, yeah, it's something that we have to still keep in mind that for most people in the world, they wish they, they had access to any other economy that is not the one they have. It's interesting. 
And I guess now the American dream is no longer location specific with crypto, where, like you said, you can live in Bali and still earn in US dollars when you convert it over to fiat. Exactly. And, you know, I know this is controversial to say on the crypto podcast, and I was very extremist in the beginning. I made videos on YouTube saying like, you know, let's kill the the blood dollar and like, you know, war money and all this stuff. And I do feel like that in a lot of aspects. But I've also learned just talking with a lot of my friends that are struggling, how it is important to value every point of the transition. Like, you know, dollar is still relevant, it's still important. And so, yes, I want it to be completely replaced by decentralized um, currency. And um, I advocate for this full on. I also feel like part of the separation and the, the reason that people have a hard time accepting blockchain and crypto is because of the language, you know, we, we can be so extremist and disrespect or confuse people by saying that, you know, that the dollar is no longer relevant or any of these things. Like if we, if we want to include everybody and, and we want this to be a mass movement, there needs to be room for everyone's opinion and for every, and to meet everybody where they're at in their understanding of what this is, you know? So that has been a huge change for me the last year in having conversations with people that don't understand much about the blockchain world. And it's been great. It's been, I feel like humbled by it, just having these conversations where people have some real opinions and we just have to listen to them if we really want mass adoption, you know? Absolutely. And I shared that thought as well. So Nanu, I see your art everywhere different mediums, different locations, different places. Is that part of being an experiential artist? Yeah, for sure. Um, that makes me so happy that you've seen my art everywhere too, because for a while there, I was going super hard. I mean, I was doing everything from spray painting murals all over, traveling to, you know, digital art. That was a new thing for me to poetry, to rap songs, to music, to collaborations with other artists, drawings, time lapses. I mean, I just went into everything that I could do to expand the knowledge about this movement. And I felt super inspired, you know, like with the other artists in the space too, there's this healthy competition and it's just this camaraderie and it's just amazing. So it's definitely part of being an experiential artist, which to me means a combination between social experiments and consciousness expansion. So I basically want to put art in front of people in whichever medium, in whichever way, triggers them thinking and questioning their reality. And Anu, I'm aware that you touched on this briefly already, but could you take us back in terms of how you started with crypto art? Um, so I found the term crypto and blockchain and all this stuff pretty early on, around 2012. And then I was a remote writer, like I was a freelance writer at that point, traveling around and making art, painting murals and so on. And I was offered to get paid in Bitcoin for the first time for a writing gig. And so I took that and kind of fell through the rabbit hole <laughs> immediately. And it was, yeah, it was really, really amazing. So the more I started looking into it, the more I realized that the symbology and the terms from the crypto, from the blockchain movement really fit what I was already doing, which was advocating for decentralization, for um, everybody to have a voice. And so I just really enjoyed um taking the poetry and the symbology of the movement and making it making it into art in a way that it could continue to expand the messages of unconditional love and decentralization and equal opportunity. And I always talk about unconditional love in this because as one of the very few females in the space, I feel like 
it's I've always I'm always trying to bring in the feminine perspective and the feminine balance and for everybody to have a voice we have to have a lot of compassion you know and for everybody to have compassion we have to have unconditional love and so it's yeah it's really I know that for some people it sounds counterintuitive to bring in these terms but I believe that a lot of artists come from this space you know just like the passion of sharing something that they believe in wanting to feel seen and heard and to put the art in front of people for the purpose of changing our society, you know, like creating a conversation. Super interesting and definitely food for thought there. So Nanu, on your website, it says that you're a blockchain entrepreneur and educator. Could you expand on that? Yeah, that's such a, it's such an interesting term entrepreneur because, you know, I argue with people like my brother about this. He's a very, um, he's an engineer at Amazon. He's like a very, you know, opposite brain as mine. And I've heard this from a lot of people. What is, what is an entrepreneur? Like, how do you define who, what an entrepreneur is? And there's two schools, right? There's like the school that says you're an entrepreneur. If you take high risk and you get high reward and you lead your own business. And there's the entrepreneur school that you kind of forge your own path and you have your own business, regardless of the risks that you're taking to me, like forging your own path is always a really high risk anyway. (laughs) And so I feel like when I first got into into the blockchain space, I was so interested in the education part of it and having people and, and seeing the right conversations happen around art being used as a tool for education that I felt like I had to be in the middle of these conversations. So I started doing a lot of advising and, you know, I advised probably over 30 small platforms, art companies, helped them design, you know, from alpha to beta, help them with, I mean, everything from curating their content to advising on the brand persona and all the stuff, bringing the experience that I had from before, because I was, you know, I was in marketing for a long time as well. Yeah, it was just, it was just really interesting to be in the middle of these conversations and see how the platforms were being built and see how they were being designed and the integrity behind them. Also companies losing their integrity really quickly to take some money and then collapsing and seeing which one's got to thrive or, or go on to the next phase and survive the bull markets and all this stuff and see how many just collapsed. So I did that for a long time. You know, I was getting paid to advise and design and curate personalities of um, companies and brands. Eventually, I just wanted to focus solely on the art. And so I stopped doing advising and I just kind of focused only on making art. And that felt really, really good too. You touched on something that resonated with me. When I approach artists for the podcast, I feel like sometimes they're trying to understand where the catch is, how we will eventually ask them to do something for me. And once we start to talk about the approach and how I want to talk about things that are relevant to them, they get uh, much more relaxed. And some of those thank you messages that I get after the fact are one of the coolest things that I will always look back to. But it talks a little bit about the state of the crypto space. I feel like in most cases, the artists always loses and maybe losing is not the right word, but for sure the artist is the one that definitely puts the risk for to get a potential reward. I mean, how many times have you seen someone offering exposure in exchange for free work? And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast. What's your opinion on this? Well, you're amazing. And I'm not just saying that. I really, really feel that, I mean, you're one of the very rare people in the space that has a lot of integrity and that has fire for changing the way that the old system works. And so I really appreciate that. I mean, I can't say that enough. 
yeah, I mean, it's, I always say, you know, that what we do, that our art is like a 3D print of our consciousness. And I feel like any technology that we come across, whether it's really early on technologies like medicinal plants, from tea to coffee to anything, recent technologies like blockchain, we they, they're like a magnifying glass on our society. You know, that's all it is. So people blame, or, you know, I used to blame the the space or the lack of the imbalance between feminine and masculine energy and all these different things. But the truth is that it's just a, it's just a macro lens on what's going on at large. And, and the truth is that we're still a very greedy society and that we have a lot of shadows that we're working through. And so even though it's getting better and I'm super optimistic, I feel like also this technology is, it's a, a metric or like it's showing how we are evolving collectively that there's enough interest in decentralization and everybody having a voice and changing the power structure that that we can move forward into a new paradigm you know like i really believe that really feel that but it's it is what it is like at large artists always get screwed and and i feel like in part it's because of the lack of education that you know some artists just wanted to paint and weren't really business savvy or there's so i mean there's so many reasons but the the only way that that changes is by the artists standing up for themselves. I thought for a while, you know, I was like fighting with people, arguing, just trying to to get them to see the value in art and 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 understand why artists can't be doing stuff for free. But that's a losing battle. I think that the only way that it changes is when every single artist says, "No, I'm not going to do this for free," and without having to explain themselves. You know, just basically saying, "Well, this is how you know this is how I pay my bills, or it doesn't feel good to do this for free. I val I value myself enough and my art enough to." to charge what I feel like charging for it. I mean, it's there's something really important too that I wrote about in The Art of You is a little book that I have on my website. Basically, it was a response to a bunch of emails that I got from people in the space that were asking me, how do I do what you do? You know, like how do I have a consistent art career in the space without completely, without constantly getting screwed over? And so one of the biggest things in that book is basically separate your self-worth from your art worth, you know? Artists put so much soul and love into what they do and it's it encompasses everything in their lives. But at the end of the day, when I'm negotiating with somebody, I can say very mathematically, you know, it took me 160 hours to make this. <laughs> it took me this much in materials. If I were to work at a minimum wage, this is a great way to put things in perspective for people. If I were to work at a minimum wage, which is let's say $15 an hour or $12 an hour, this is how much it would be. So this is my total cost in materials and time at minimum wage. I don't consider myself working at minimum wage. And these are the reasons why. So my piece is worth this much. So I can do that without feeling like that defines my worth. You know what I mean? I can sell a piece of art for a thousand bucks or for $10,000. And that's not going to change how I see myself, you know? And so I think that's really important to learn. And, and a lot of people don't have the opportunity to learn that. So I just wanted, yeah, that, that, the art of you is a really small, uh, manual kind of, and it's, you know, it's on my website. You can get it, I think for like 17 bucks or something. And it's a response to, to people just to, to a lot of the questions that I continuously get pretty much online. So I was hoping that that would be helpful. I couldn't agree more and definitely I'll be looking into that book. <laughs> Thank you. So Nanu, you touched on this briefly earlier and I wanted to expand on it a bit more. I see often that you tag your work with the remark, art is a 3D print of our consciousness. Mm -hmm. What does this mean to you? 
So the, yeah, art is a 3D print of our consciousness. I feel like art is a technology and a lot of the transcendental artists, kind of like the Alex Gray school um, and all the visionary artists, you know, Burning Man, like all of, I mean, all of art throughout history, in my opinion, but at least we have these tangible um, examples of visionary art. Visionary art is described as literally art that people see in visions, whether that's, you know, psychedelic visions for some people or meditation in my case or whatever it is. And so it's a technology that we have. It's like a software in our brain that we can grasp bigger ideas that are indescribable with words or with logic and literally download them through our fingers and put them on paper. And I mean, that's invaluable. You know what I mean? That's how we record history, how we design who we become in the future, how we explain culture to each other. So that's what I mean, you know, art is a 3D printer for consciousness. It's pretty much the software embedded in our brains to really explain the larger than life concepts that there's <laughs> that words just often fall short with. Very cool and very well described, by the way. So I guess derived from this, what's your connection to the healing arts and intentional art? Oh, I love the healing arts so much. Um, I feel that beyond my wish to become successful as an artist in like a sustainable way, monetary way or recognition way. Underneath all of that, what I really want is to heal myself through art because it's the best tool to transmute energy and to transmute pain or whatever's going on shadows. And I really, really want to help other people do that, do this as well. So I often hold um, workshops about healing arts and just get people to get in touch with their emotions and get in touch with how to process those emotions through art. And it's, it's really, really satisfying. I mean, for a long time, I thought that I wanted more recognition or more fame or whatever it was. And I very quickly realized that I actually love my privacy. So I do not want to be famous in the quote unquote normal way. And I started really exploring what that means, you know, fame and success and all these things. And to me at this moment in my life, if I can heal myself through my creativity, and of course, you know, I want to make a living out of this as well, because it's just part of what, what's satisfying to me and, and effortless to me, that makes me happy. And once I am centered and I'm balanced, I want to take my gifts and my joy to other people as well so that we can amplify more of that. And so that looks like to me, you know, sharing healing arts with other people. And so the amount of joy I see in adults' faces when I teach them to draw like little kids, you know, or to make healing art sound or healing music, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And nothing replaces that feeling, you know. It's, it's just really, really magical. Very cool. And I agree. I believe it's very important to be at peace with yourself and, and balanced to achieve your full potential. I've actually had this conversation with one of the artists that was a guest in this podcast. They have a theory that artists wear their emotions closer to their sleeve as a result of always trying to find inspiration for their work. And I think it's easy for us non-artists to always live our lives by constantly shielding our emotions and without dealing with our inner demons, if you will, as a result of not having to constantly broadcast our story. In your mind, why is it important for an artist to find that balance and inner peace? Yeah, that's such a good point that you make. And I always feel so grateful for having these tools. Like that's, that's what I mean that I feel like once I'm in balance, I 
it's almost like I need to share this. Like it's part of my soul mission to bring this to other people, to help them bring joy into their lives. Because I often think, you know, when I'm really upset, really sad, depressed, whatever, I open a sketchbook, even if I don't feel like sketching. And I just, that's where I go. You know, I go into this world for a couple hours and I almost like in trance, you know, unconsciously almost. And then when I zoom out, once I'm done doing the drawing or whatever, I feel clear. I feel better. I feel my emotions are balanced again. And I'm left with this gift that just came out of somewhere, (laughs) the universe or whatever, you know, and it's such an amazing experience and such a healing experience. And it's a self tool. I don't have to go to anyone for this. I can just do this whenever I need to. And I feel so, so sad for people who are not in touch with this gift and the superpower that we all have that is creativity because every single person is creative, right? Like how we, how we carry ourselves, how we dress, how we speak, everything's creative. And so it's just, it's just such an unbelievable gift and, and we really, really need it. And I think that what you said about people not really having a reason to do this or, or uh, a need to share their story is totally part of how we've been programmed, you know? We were supposed to do this linear thing where we go to school and we get a job and we get married or whatever version of that. And so we're all too concerned with that achieving these milestones or kind of like constructing the linear life that makes sense. And we forget that none of that is actually real. You know, we we can design our lives however we want and we're better off making ourselves happy and being a good mirror to everybody else in society than trying to achieve these things and then forget about who we actually are. And so I think that, you know, again, like I feel super optimistic about this. And I think that this is the awakening that people talk about, um, that we're just realizing that the best way to make ourselves happy and to make other people happy is by really being at peace with ourselves. And that only comes from, from doing what you love. And I know it sounds so cheesy, but we've talked about depression briefly before. And I think depression is a compass for, to steer your life into the right direction. I thought that my brain was broken. I thought that I had a chemical imbalance, you know, because my whole family has these kind of issues with depression. And I've been really, really depressed in the past, you know, like try to kill myself when I was younger, all this stuff, which to me is not really taboo to talk about. I know it's it's jarring for some people or jarring for some people, but to me, it's like a normal, (laughs) normal part of life. If you're an artist, like you, you just get really depressed sometimes, but it's always, if I look back, every time that I got over something like that, it's always been a compass. It was basically saying to me, your energy is being wasted in this space. You don't feel valued. You don't feel appreciated. And what you're doing is not in line with your core values. So how can you pivot this so that it, what you're saying and what you're doing matches what you want and what you feel? And then it just corrects itself. And so it's, it's hard. It's not that it's easy. But I've noticed that even when I was in crypto, you know, my first, th- my first three years in the space were amazing. I was traveling everywhere. I was going super hard, like all the conferences, live painting. I mean, everything you can imagine. And I was really happy and it was fueling my fire, you know, and eventually I started getting super depressed and it was because I was mostly making commissions for people. And while I really enjoyed being able to have the freedom to be a full-time artist, I realized that my message was getting lost. I was no longer making art because it felt good to me. I was supporting the idea of living as a full-time artist and that felt good to me but my art was basically just working with a bunch of brands. And so I needed to scale back and I moved to Bali and I stopped doing that. And so as soon as I stopped doing that, I stopped being depressed. I was like, wow, I have my inspiration back. I have everything back. So basically 
as soon as you get really depressed and you're kind of like in a downward spiral or losing hope, it's just a great opportunity to take a step back and say, what am I doing that doesn't match what I actually want? And that's scary, you know, for most people to really confront that. It's scary for me to really confront that every time because there's always this idea that if I stop doing what works, I'll fail. But what life has proven to me every time is that every time I surrender to stop doing the thing that makes me unhappy and follow my joy, I always become more successful. And it's so counterintuitive, but that's like the whole Buddhist principle that I follow, you know, says it's like, follow your joy, follow things, literally only do things that make you happy. And I know, I know that's super controversial and how we all kind of work in normal society, but it's true. Like every time I follow something that makes me happy and I stop doing things that don't make me happy, I kind of come up with more opportunities and more peace and I'm happier and it's better. <laughs> it makes total sense. For someone that's not an artist and with a background in high tech, I totally understand the need to sometimes take a break and de-stress and relax and opt to rather go to the beach for, for a weekend. So I completely understand why you made a conscious decision to step back and based on the conversations with other artists, commissions are equivalent to inspirational death in a way. It almost feels like it becomes a commercial art engagement. And I assume as an artist, it's even more important to be able to give yourself that time to reflect and be inspired. Yeah, it kind of feels like commercial art. And even though there's there's some really amazing people in the space, um, and I've been super lucky getting as much creative freedom as, as possible, and, you know, and really negotiating for that, kind of saying, like, if the more freedom I have, the better the work will be. So uh, it's been it's been great. But at the end of the day, if you're still slapping a logo on something or... You know, it's, it's your style, but it's not really the message or the abstract. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just different. It feels compromised. It feels, it feels de different. And you just said something that I thought was so interesting. Um, you said, you know, as an artist, I imagine that you need time also to get inspired. This is another really important thing for me that I think the feminine needs to bring back into the space. There's natural rhythms of life and natural waves like, you know, the oceans rise and fall and the moon and all these things and the seasons. And we just totally <laughs> ignore that. We pretty much bulldoze through asphalt and just try to make shit happen, you know? And I did that for a long time in the crypto space. And I got some really awesome progress or features or exposure and success in some way, but it burned me completely out. And so I would do this for a while and then I would have to step back and recover And I think that's a really um, difficult life to live. And so what I've been trying to do now since moving to Indonesia and trying to live a little bit slower is just respect those natural rhythms of life. And as an artist, we have so many of those because you can only create, create, create while you're inspired until the juice runs out. Then if you don't go live life and draw inspiration from other things, and if you don't make space to feel your feelings and understand how you're growing as a person, your art doesn't grow either, you know? And so it's, and it's hard as an artist who feels like I feel very productive and I feel like I'm a businesswoman as well. So it's hard for me to accept those moments and say, wow, I'm in a low, you know, I'm in a point of introspection and, and I'm in receiving mode, like receiving images, receiving information, receiving my own feelings. I'm not in out, output mode. And so it's been really awesome learning to understand those waves and benefit from them instead of getting stressed out, like I'm not producing, you know, that's where most artists' minds go. I think it's like, well, I haven't painted in a month or whatever. 
just see how the things that you're bringing into your life are filling your bucket of inspiration and how that's going to come out tenfold once you are ready, you know. And I'm going to stop saying that I do this podcast for free because I, I always learn a ton with each artist. Bessie gave me a ton of homework and with you, I'm jotting down a ton of notes. So I feel like I grow with every episode we record. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel the same. Um, there's always the person that's on the side of receiving as well, holding space, I call it, you know, the person who's holding space is giving me the gift of processing out loud things that I might not write in my journal or say to other people. So it's equally valuable. If you woke up tomorrow and you had $10 million in your bank account, what would you do? Like if you didn't need to think about money anymore? Oh man, dreaming is for free, right? Um, I think I've been lucky in the sense that I've gone through a transformation where money is not the main objective. I, I see money as it is. As, as a vehicle to accomplish things, but not as the main goal. And it's been a, a process, I would say, because growing up in Mexico, I think having money or being in a, in a favorable financial situation to buy nice cars and nice houses and, and, and nice things is, is seen as the ultimate accomplishment. And it's, it's been definitely transformation for me where that's not my objective anymore. I mean, I do have crazy dreams where like, for example, going full Peter McCormack, where he wants to buy a, a lower division team in England, I would do the same. That that would be my goal, to buy a lower division team in, in, in England and then never die by their success or their failures. Uh, but other than that, I guess just um, spending more time with friends and family, and, and I wouldn't change much of anything else that I do. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you're manifesting your life and just... The art that you're making is amazing. I mean, your podcast, which is your art too, and the, the art for the episodes is just so beautiful. Thank you. I truly appreciate that. So Nanu, are there any artists that you admire within or outside of the crypto space? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. Um, so as, as like, you know, legendary artists from the world, dead, dead and or alive, Definitely Frida Kahlo. She's one of my favorite. Uh, her story is similar to mine, or my story is similar to hers. I guess she came first. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's just from the the surgeries and the body pain and all the stuff. I don't know if, if a lot of people know about this about me, but I was in, I was biking in Argentina about five years ago on my bicycle and a truck kind of ran me, just ran a red light and ran me over. So I had to relearn how to walk and I have a bunch of metal in my hip and all this crazy stuff. You know, I was told I would never sit on the floor again where I paint or do yoga again or move and all these things. And I beat all the odds, you know, like I died a couple times before the ambulance came and at the hospital and all the stuff. And I, I beat all the odds, you know, I'm like a perfectly functioning human and I can do yoga and there's a lot of things I can't do, you know, like I used to rock climb pretty intensely and I can't do that anymore and all these things, but it's just, yeah, just channeling your pain and your your difficulties and hardships into art is such a beautiful such a beautiful process of of getting rid of shadow and, and stepping into the light. So Frida is, you know, for so many reasons, one of my main inspirations. And she had it so much more intense than I did, you know, and she she's just unparalleled. I mean she's she's just amazing. Frida being such a strong person, living a very tumultuous romantic relationship with another very accomplished artist. Diego in a time where women were just living to the shadows of men and she was breaking so many paradigms. And um, also in a moment in time where 
being a leftist politically was was tragic and she played it really well uh she has so many layers that um to this day people recognize and her art is so iconic not only because of what she created but also the persona that she built around her art yeah it really does and exactly what you said you know her how she carried herself and what she did for women in that time i'm really interested also in her kind of open ish relationship with with diego because they were doing something yeah. really forward you know they they were both crazy artists and they were both very strong personalities and they kind of lived in the same house at times but in, in separate wings of houses and very very similar to kind of what i do with my partnership i'm dating a person you know i've been in partnership with a wonderful creative for a while and we uh i still live in my own house he lives in his own house uh, we have an open connection which means you know we choose to be monogamous with each other open connection is not always like many many partners but just more like you can feel free and you can do whatever you want and so it's a very different way of life to just say to be with a partner and know that that's your main relationship but you can say oh you want to you like this girl you want to go on a date with her you should you know and then come back to me and tell me how it was and just being these just being able to be free and genuine with yourself and uncompromising of who you are at all times accepting however your life falls into place based on you being 100% yourself you know i think it takes a lot of courage to live that way and I mean, a lot of artists have to do that, you know, like, like Dali, of course, is another one of my main inspirations. And he, he was just unapologetic about everything. He just was who he was. And he dabbled into everything. You know, he filmed commercial art and, and literally commercials and sculptures and paintings and everything, experiential things, um, anything you could imagine and designed his own house and just did whatever he wanted. And he was just incredible. So he's another one of my inspirations. Also, E. Cummings is somebody that I feel very inspired by because he destroyed all rules of grammar. So as a very dyslexic person, which I know you're dyslexic too, so maybe you'll appreciate this also. Yeah, he just, he just got rid of, you know, capital letters, commas, like anything that didn't make sense to him. And he used these tools in language as poetry themselves, right? So he would put like a capital letter in the middle of a poem or like a comma, whatever he wanted. And so he made me kind of feel like, like it was okay to break all the rules. Another one is Cortázar. He's one of my very favorite writers. He's just amazing how he describes poetically these normal situations and writes in French and Spanish and a lot, you know, from Argentina and Paris. And yeah, I just really, really love how he writes. It's, it makes me think in, in images when I read his stuff. So, and I mean, in the space, there's so many people. I, I'm really inspired by a lot of the female artists in the space as well. And we have a lot of camaraderie when it comes to people saying, oh, you know, you're, you're, you only get exposure because you're a woman or whatever. <laughs> and we spend so much time talking about how difficult it is actually to convince a person to stop hitting on you so they can actually look at your art. So, I mean, I've turned down deals and opportunities because the person was clearly just interested in me <clears throat> as a person instead of in my art. And that goes back to the whole value thing about really, really just carrying yourself with integrity. It's like, what are you, you know, what are we prioritizing? Is it succeeding at any cost or is it being genuine to yourself and seeing how life evolves from there? You know, it's very different. What you just said is very powerful. I, I remember this was a few years back where I would come into the office and I used to sit next to a very capable female coworker 
And um, I would go in and pour my brains out from nine to six or whatever. Um, but that was it, right? So it was just more intellectual, more decision-making. Then I learned that she not only had to do that, not, not only perform at work from a certain amount of time during the day, but she was also dealing with weirdos and fellow coworkers that were getting mixed signals and they were falling in love with her. And I thought it was so unfair because I had to worry about going in, making the right decision, being cleared of mind to perform, but she was dealing with so much more. And um, I don't know, I thought it was very unfortunate. It's sad that it happens in art as it happens uh, everywhere else. I'm so glad you're an ally too and that you see that and that you understand that. A lot of people really don't, you know, if you don't have that experience, you don't know what it feels like. And so that's really cool that you that you do see that and that you have this platform and we can talk about it. It's, it is really important. I think, of course, you know, sexuality is a thing and people can use that for power. But I think men do that all the time too, you know, like we never really talk about that, how men make themselves seem powerful or like in how in, with their sexuality or, or whatever it is that makes them attractive and how they can use that, you know? And so if women can use that equally, then that's great. It's just that in addition to that, we have to deal with the, you know, the, the dark parts of that where people are just assuming that that hitting on you is okay. Or that, you know, that, that looking at your body along with your art is something that's that's okay because you're a woman it's just it's just crazy to me and yeah i really respect the females in the space that you know have these open conversations and that just just support and have being able to have these dialogues with people and and all the artists in general i mean the group that we have going is amazing <laughs> and there's so much camaraderie there it's yeah it's wonderful to to have any when you have any level of frustration or misunderstanding we can just kind of help each other out and it's been very motivating so Nanu, what are you currently working on? Any next projects you want to tell us about? Next projects, yes. Um, so I'm starting to paint murals again, which feels really fun. And I've just been kind of riding around my motorcycle with some spray cans in, in the back and wherever I see a wall in the jungle, I'll paint it. And that's reminding me of who I was when, you know, when I was first nomadic, when I was 18 to 21. So that's been really invigorating and, and it's part of motivating me to create this larger project that I'll I'll release in a couple months in a mural scale. So that's really fun. And, you know, I'm always playing with NFTs and NF NFCs and trying to, to find other ways to connect my art to the technologies. Uh, would love to include more VR and AR into my project. So always, always working in that space and really focusing on, on this new wave of, of life work balance and receiving from the feminine side and, instead of pushing too hard, just continuing to, to do things that feel good and see how that evolves. And to be honest, I had a couple emails yesterday that were such a great affirmation of this. I used to, I used to spend so much time, you know, on private conversations on Twitter and this and that, and just creating relationships and, and a lot would come from it, you know, like features and magazines and all this stuff, but it would get so exhausting. And now what I'm doing instead is kind of sitting in a meditative space and thinking, envisioning the things that I want. And these people are now reaching out to me. And so of course it's part in part because I've spent a lot of time grinding and doing the thing that I have to do, you know, like working super hard and being in front of everyone's eyes and all this stuff. But there's also, you know, I've been taking it a lot slower the last six months and my career hasn't really slowed down. And so I just, I just hope I say that because I hope that people really are able to take some space and enjoy the waves that are a little bit slower 
and enjoy the healing so that they can continue to do this long term. Because if you get burnt out in three years, your career is over. <laughs> you know, like if you really want to be a long term, long term sustainable artist, you need to you need to find a way to to be good to your body and to yourself and to your spirit. So Nanu, take us through your creative process from the moment you start working through an idea or an inspiration to the moment you have a finished piece. I love this question. Thank you. Um, I was listening to a couple of your episodes before and a few artists touched on this and it made me so happy to hear that, you know, we think this a similar way. I basically come up with a concept and then come up with whatever solution it takes to make the vision real. And that's something that it took me a long time to learn because I always thought that you had to, if you were a painter, you had to paint, you know, and you had to focus on your one thing. And then I started hearing more and more contemporary artists talk about, well, you know, the medium is just whatever vehicle to get your, your vision to be tangible. So I really love mixed media and sculptural work. And so I'm always collecting stuff, you know, whenever I'm walking around, I'm either taking photos of things that look like cool backgrounds or textures or color palettes and picking up everything from little twigs to coins to whatever, like papers, whatever feels good to save pieces of fabric. And I really miss my studio in Austin. <laughs> Honestly, I had built an awesome studio for a couple of years and now I'm back to being a traveling artist. So it's, that's been a little bit of a challenge, but it's been great to just make art with whatever's around as well. And then, you know, drawing, there's like different stages too. Usually if I don't have space to paint or if I'm more on like a conceptual brain, I tend to draw a lot, just sketch a lot. And then after I've drawn a lot, I sometimes go and paint a mural, which is like a physical activity. You know, you're like dancing and moving in all directions and it's more cathartic. And then if I'm feeling more introspective, like I have a big idea that I want to, that I want to put into, into something real, then I will be making a mixed media sculptural piece. So it all depends on, yeah, what I'm trying to express and what's going on. And, um, it always comes from an artist therapy place, you know, like a lot of times it's, it's just poetry. You know, I just write a lot of poetry or freestyle raps or, or make music. And so, yeah, it always comes from a place of healing and expressing, connecting with, with the outside world, trying to create conversations. Any closing thoughts about art in the space and where you see this going in the next few years? Yeah, this is a really this is a really exciting moment, and there's a you know there's a lot of uh, difficulties or injustices in the world in general, and so like of course in the crypto world and the crypto art and art in general. But it is a really really exciting moment, and I encourage anyone who wants to connect with the crypto art community. Or with it, you know, if you feel like a creative or if you don't feel creative, but you have ideas, there's so many opportunities for cross collaboration and just making these ideas come to light, whether you're the idea person or the designer person or the music person, there's just so much more, there's just so much more room for fun and for, and for joy and all this stuff. And so I think often we can get caught up, especially artists, you know, we can get caught up on the seriousness of the art, whether it's battling the fine art world and trying to make room for contemporary art or battling ourselves and trying to build a career and monetize it. But yeah, art can be a lot of fun too. And it, you know, it can bring you a lot of friends and it can, it can be super, super um, healing for yourself and for others to see it and experience it. So 
I just encourage people to have more fun with it and to get a little bit less serious. And I always talk about the, the balance between the sacred and the silly, you know, so it's like sacred inspiration and, and silliness that can bring it to life. Nanu, ha sido un placer. You have a beautiful soul and you're an artist that I truly admire. Same as Frida, you carry yourself very well. And I believe you're empowering fellow artists and those that are just starting in their artistic journey and perhaps need a few pointers on both how to legitimize their skills and also how to carry themselves through their business transactions. I'm looking forward to adding one of your pieces to my private collection and looking forward to our virtual Mate session. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're such an awesome person too, man. I really appreciate kicking it and uh, blushing with your compliments. But same, same to you. You're so creative and I look forward to our vir virtual Mate as well. Muchas gracias, Danu. Un abrazo. Chao, chao. Nos vemos. Thank you for listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, please help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions. 